Okay, we are live. Welcome, friends, to the Collector Showcase, a PC journey. And with me, I have Mike Geo here from Sports Card Nonsense. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I only bailed on you once, so I was excited I did not <laughs> skip the meeting today. I'm off to a good start. No, no, you're solid. You're solid. No, we just had a – it was just – there was miscommunication. No big deal. Um, anyway, so, you know – I was, we we're talking about offline a second ago. What's the point of the show? What are we doing? There's a lot, like, do we need any more podcasts out there in the sports card hobby? Probably not. There's like, there's a bajillion of them. Well, maybe some are falling off and maybe some could take the place of others, but either way, there's a lot of really good content out there. A lot of great hobby content. And I mean, you guys feel a f terrific role in that and what you guys do with sports card nonsense. But one of the things I like seeing in any of these shows is, is the collection, the PC. I mean, you got a lot of stuff sitting behind you and you're, I can see right behind you. Those are the kind of things all of us kind of look at and go, what What are those things? What, what gets Mike going? What is something Mike hangs on to, doesn't want to sell? Um, what would it take to sell some of those things? But mostly, why do you collect? Where you come from? And what is the collection? What's the journey? Where is it Where is it going? All that kind of stuff. Is there a grail? Um, other fun stuff we'll talk about. But before we jump into all that, I want to just uh, understand more about you and where you came from, how you got into the hobby, how you got into cards, and how it's morphed into this situation where now you're on one of the biggest podcasts in the hobby. Yeah, I mean, it started with, like most guys as a kid, just collecting. I had an older brother. Uh, he's seven years older than me, so, you know, I, I probably started around the age of four or five years old. It's kind of when I first remember collecting. would have put him in his early teens. Mm -hmm. Just going to either a card shows. We had a couple local card shops in Mass., and then there was just a big flea market where the indoor section was all, uh, there was like three or four tables in a row, all wax. Some of the local shops would set up there. So that was kind of my start was just, just being around it with him and then starting to buy my own, you know, Red Sox cards or cards with, you know, guys in a Jersey color that I liked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was there any player that you really were drawn to that kind of got you going, started you off? Yeah, Griffey was our guy. Just the backwards hat. He was the first like non-boring baseball player that I remember as a kid. So the hat was backwards. He had the really cool iconic upper deck card, which you know, back in the day, book used to have a book value of two hundred and forty bucks. So just totally unattainable. Uh, that was kind of like this, you know, unbelievable card that we're never going to own, but we always are going to try to chase down. So that that was our guy. Yeah, no, Griffey, uh, you're you're speaking my language. I'm I'm on the Pacific Northwest here in Seattle, born and raised. Oh, perfect. Okay. Yeah, so I'm a huge Griffey guy. I'm a, I'm a sad Mariners fan. Maybe hopefully, hopefully, finally going to have some uh, success here pretty soon. But I've I have a huge PC of Griffey. He's my guy. He's the guy. And it kind of will it'll it'll segue into what we'll talk about later when we talk about what we hold on to. I came back to like, okay, what would I if if it all had to go, what sticks, what stays. And the Griffies were the only, I mean, really the only ones that I'd be like, yeah, I just can't let these go. Because that's the whole reason I got back into it. It was the first card I bought. Um, so you got into Griffey, started collecting Griffey, obviously Red Sox stuff. Did you, you got in early on Tom Brady, I imagine. Did you, did you get in early on him? Did you buy him early in his career? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so fast forward another 10 years probably because that's early 90s. So now you get to right. 2000, 2001, two, yeah, a little bit. I mean, and um it was still easy to find him back then too. We had a bunch of rookie cards in the market, you know, 20 years ago, the market was, right. so even after he came out and played really well, the year after a Super Bowl, you could still find him for pretty cheap uh, for some of his, his lesser rookies. So yeah, I got him pretty, you know, at that point I'm a teenager, kind of got him pretty heavy with, with Brady rookie stuff. Nothing big though. I didn't buy any like autos and big rookies until I was in my twenties when I kind of came back to the card market um, right before the Seattle Super Bowl. So like kind of in the year, 
like the 2010 to 2012 buildup. Got it. So I know we skipped over like almost a decade there. So maybe walk me through that part. I just jumped over. So Griffey was what you got into, got you into the hobby. That's what you're, I mean, wasn't Mike Greenwell. I mean, there, there wasn't any love for Mike Greenwell. Mustaches. No, no, <laughs> no mustaches. Uh, yeah, I mean, Griffey for the most part. Yeah. A-Rod, I loved A-Rod as a kid growing up, too, yeah. in Seattle. When he left, I was like, oh, he's a traitor, so I hated him. Um, Thank you. The Sox had nobody, at least for us, super collectible until the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, Pedro came over late 90s, like 90, man, 97, 98. Yeah. Manny came over either late 90s or right in 2000. Mm-hmm. Then we started kind of collecting those guys. They became really relevant. No basketball interest at all for me, hardly at all, almost yeah. entirely baseball and football a little bit. There was a couple sets in the late 90s I kind of chased and messed around with. That yeah. kind of brought me to the teenage years, which is when I kind of got out of it in high school anyways. 2000 to 2003, uh, 2004 when I graduated, I was pretty much out of the hobby or mostly and then came back after high school. Came back after high school. Wow. So you didn't take that much of a break, though. A lot of us guys are saying, yeah, with 12 or 13 or 14, we stopped. And then we come back, you know, for me anyway, like three years ago. But you've been literally in it this whole time for the most part, except for one reprieve. Yeah, so, so it was like two, four, and five-year breaks. High school, a, a little bit off, but I was still around it. And then I got married. Right before I got married, I sold off my entire collection, so at 21. And I didn't wow. come back until like 25, 26. Did you keep anything from your original collection? Do you have one thing that just kind of stood? It's it's lasted this whole time, like a grippy or anything like that? No, so I sold almost everything to pay for the engagement ring. The Got little it. bit of stuff I did have, I sold again like a year or two after because I was like, oh, it's sitting in a box. I made a deal with a guy literally on Facebook or Craigslist. Came to the house, sold every card I had, was out for a couple of years. Wow. Wow. So when you got back in, what was the first card you purchased to get yourself back into it? What, what sparked that again? So you? over my... Uh, my left shoulder. There's a couple yeah. cards on stands there. It's a set from 2000 uh, Flare Showcase. This, oh. It was the Sweet Sig set. It was the first time they did the sweet spot of the baseball. Um, it's only a 10 autograph set. Um, tough to find. Some of them are like random. And it was even the random names that were guys I remember. Like Tony Womack, for whatever yeah. reason, was a guy I would pull all the time when I was younger. And I always hated it because who cares about Tony Womack? <laughs> Jay Buner was another cheap name. But Jay was awesome. I lo- yeah, we loved the those bone, man. It's the bone, yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the bigger names, it was a Nolan Ryan Clemens in a, in a Sox uniform or in a Blue Jays uniform, which was kind of cool. Uh, A-Rod has one in that set. And then Nomar was a short print. So even though it's only worth, I don't know, 50 bucks, super tough to find the Nomar. Nomar, Maddox. But yeah, all pretty cheap. But that was kind of the set I remember as a kid. That was like one of the first autographs I remember pulling from a pack when I was younger. Uh, and so, yeah, kind of came back and said, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to have fun and just put that set back together. And then it just blossomed from there. Um, what happened to Nomar, man? That guy, when I was younger, he was just the guy. I mean, it was him, A-Rod, and Derek Jeter, and and then all of a sudden. Injured Nomar, every year. Yep. Just gone. Man, he was the guy. Um, he married like a soccer player, I think, right? Mia Hamm. Mia Hamm, right. yeah. Married a soccer player. So your Mariner – your Mariner fandom is pretty interesting. I don't know if you call it fandom, but just the, the knowledge of our guys, is, we don't have a whole lot to hang on to. But Jay Buhner and Ken Griffey Jr. and A-Rod for a minute, Randy Johnson for a second. Um, that's really all we got. Um, so, okay, you're collecting that set. You're getting back into it. You're – okay, so after you – after that happens, after that transition happens, what what happens then? Like, you see, you just want to complete this set, but then something else happens, right? Then you just kind of start getting back into it. Yeah, then it was, hey, maybe I can make a little money on the side. I mean, I was doing construction down here in my early 20s, mid-20s at that point. 
um, you know, making no money, which was fine. We didn't really care either. We had simple lives. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of, hey, what if I started? So I went and made one deal on Craigslist with a guy to sell him a couple cards that I had randomly. And he's like, you know, this market, it's actually like a cool thing. I'll buy these cards on eBay and I'll flip them on Craigslist. Again, you're talking 10 years ago in 2012. Right. And I was like, oh, how do you? He's like, well, man, like old guys at the show are not using eBay. So you can buy these low-grade cards. Actually, the way we started doing it, we would buy low-grade vintage cards of stars. And I'm talking cheap stuff, 20 to 40 bucks. Break it out of the grade, which grading was new to me then anyways. And, and we'll sell those at the show and vice versa. Some guys will sell these autographs and patches at the show for one and two bucks. They sell on eBay for four and five dollars. So it was kind of like finding the gaps in the market. And it became like the just a buy and sell the flipping game for a little side hustle. Right. So it seems like the market was actually, you know, and this is what's fun about this, this show. It's just like I'm just I'm, just, I'm asking you how you did your thing. And what your experience has been in the hobby and all that stuff. So for for me and for a lot of other people, I'm sure we're just learning because, I mean, in 2012, I was just playing shows with my band, and I had just gotten married a couple years earlier, almost started the family kind of thing. But cards were the last thing on my mind. This is the furthest thing from my mind. So hearing what was going on in 2012 is fascinating to me, based on like how we've all been basically really immersed or in, 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 embedded into this hobby community and everything for the last three years. So. You get into that, you start seeing there's a market, there's a place where you can actually make some money. And do you, and do you like, just like tell me, do you think this, the hobby is a market? Is it a market? Is it, is it, I mean, you make, this is your business, this is your life, right? So you see this as a, as a, it's a hobby and it's a, a market, a business. What do you, how do you reconcile the two or do you? Yeah, I'll be honest. I really don't like, I buy stuff I like and it's, and cool. It's like that stuff I'll keep and other stuff. Hey, I, I flip it to make money or I make content to make money at times. I don't, you know, I, I'm not one of these guys who's smart enough. Like I said, I, I barely graduated high school. So when people start talking, it compares to the S&P. And this, I, none of that means anything to me. Got I just it. know this is a, an area of life where guys like to collect stuff. So there's nostalgia here. People enjoy it. And then there's like a side hustle to it if you want to, you know, kind of play the game of that, you know, buying and selling. So is it a market? I guess. But, but people get worked up about that. You know, the hobby is being ruined. I guess, but people have always bought and sold here. It just wasn't always on social media. And there are more obnoxious people in it. I don't doubt that. But <laughs> but like this has always been the game. I want something else, so I'm going to use cards to get it, whether it's another card or money or whatever. Like The buy-sell trade has always been a huge part of this hobby. And there's a, guy, there's a lot of people like yours. There's Cage and other people that have been doing this for a long time. And there's a lot of you and I'm always interested. I, I find, I kind of feel like that's where the gospel truth is, is the folks that have been doing this for a minute, not the people that have just come in all excited, full of all their, you know, energy the last three years, not folks looking to build up followings with, you know, accusation, you know, reporting or whatever you want to call it, just basically throwing stuff out there. It's the people that have been here that have done it and go, yeah, you can collect. Yeah. You can buy and you can flip. You can do both. What's the big deal? This is, seems like most of the hardcore you know, people that have been doing this for a while that's what they say like what you just got done saying but why why do you think there's been so much do you think it's been because people just they, they followed the wrong advice they shouldn't have followed i'm the kind of person that says you're a grown man or woman you make your own decisions you live with them you be accountable to your decisions no one's leading you to do anything i mean no one's making you do anything um what are your thoughts on why do you why do you think there's so much well there, maybe there's not so much but why is why does that exist within this hobby why is it is that a new thing that you've noticed as of recent or was it always there i mean it's probably so you're basically talking about like the jealousy of some people the anger of some people toward x 
Like, I am only a collector, so I hate guys who flip. Right. Honestly, it's probably always existed. But again, it's like everything else. A lot of things have always existed. But now we tweet about it or post a picture on Instagram about it or make content about it. I think it's just magnified by the, you know, by the voices now more than anything. Um, Yeah. I don't know. You know, to me, I I can't stand in, in most areas of life. I cannot stand people who are crazy leaning one way or the other. I only collect, and that's the only way to do it. You have to PC. Cool, but I don't care that I I have a PC because I've sold cards to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, I don't PC anything. I'm only in this to flip. Okay, well, I've, I flip and buy and sell and do all that too, but you know, I do it so I can actually PC some cards. I fall in the middle. I find obnoxious people on both sides, though. Honestly, yeah, th- there, are, there are donkeys everywhere in life. Anybody who goes <laughs> way too far one way or the other, I just think is unreasonable and useless. Yeah. But I, I just can't. Yeah, I can't stand people though. When it's you know, you have to do one or the other. Dude, I can do whatever I want. Like, who cares? What does yeah. it matter? We got the same thing when we started getting paid to make content. It's yeah. like, oh well, now it's getting paid. It's different. Really? To me, it was smart. I was saying the same thing before, and like some of these companies I used to talk about, and I just called them and said, "Hey, I'm talking about you anyways. You should be paying me to do this." Mm-hmm. I mean, if that makes you a sellout, like, cool. I just I thought it was a smart thing to do. Same thing with cards, like. I was already buying and selling. Now that there's a term that I'm flipping, I'm a flipper, and I'm a bad person. It's like, okay, then I'm a bad person. I don't care. It doesn't affect me. I try to just, <laughs> like, like, whatever, you know? Yeah. And most, it, it yeah. is true, though. Most of this is in the last three years, because before that, it wasn't cool to do it, you right. know? So I, there's a, there is a way to reconcile it mentally. I just, in large part, I just don't care. Like, most of these guys weren't here before, and the fact that I was doing this 15 years ago doesn't make me any better or smarter at it than anybody else. And just because you have a camera and followers, you know, I could care less. I hate social media anyways, so I don't – I'm never <laughs> impressed by that. The only thing I do hate of that whole thing is at the shows. I yeah. hate when a card show is full of cameras and, you know, 15 to 25-year-olds, and everything they do is counting out money – Cause it's laughable. I'm not a kid anymore. Like, like you know, like how old are you, Dennis? I'm 42. Okay, so you're, you're seven years older than me, even. My, so I'm exactly the same age as my brother. But we'll go to shows and we'll see this, and I'm like, I, I, we just smile because I think maybe maybe it's cool and that's awesome the way you do it. To me, I used to be able to just go to a show and nobody knew who I was, and I had a great time. And I've never once in my life counted out $100 bills like some moron. I've never once, like, yelled a boom and thrown a card down. So a lot of it I just view as people do this stupid garbage to get attention. Yeah, right, right. I don't know that it's bad for the hobby. They still infuse a lot of money. I sit back and laugh about it, mostly. That That is, that is in general, my reaction to, you know, Talk about a long-winded answer. You got to be better at this interview game, Dennis. Cut me off, dude. What are you doing over there? <laughs> no, He's listening I'm, to it's, ramblings. Hit it's the called, mute button already. It's it's called gathering gold. Um, you're, <laughs> I would you're, call it gathering garbage, but I like. Uh, I, I like it, man. No, your opinion matters, man. Because I feel like you know you make some good points. I mean, you know, and the reason I asked that question, it kind of led you to it. And I'm, I'm not going to apologize for it. I led you to it because I've been on a couple of your IG lives right after something gets posted by certain people. Sure. Um, and you're pretty you're pretty fired up about it, and and you have a very consistent take on all of this. Like you don't waver at all. You've really been straight ahead on how you feel about it. And I kind of wanted to capture it in the show because I think it ties into where are we going in the hobby? Because that's like the next step. Because you've you've built this thing up. Now you're 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 doing this podcast game. It's popular. I think it's popular because you you guys don't take each other too seriously. 
Um, you have a lot of fun and you have a lot of experience to speak to the hobby versus the last three year guy, right? Nothing against the last three year guy. I'm one of them, but you know, I think that you have a different kind of voice and you know, people like me go, Hmm, I want to hear what he has to say because he's been doing this for a minute. You go and blow out. I think blowout.com, the forums was pretty much where all this drama existed before. I think it kind of lived there and now it's everywhere else because it's cooler. But now since it's cooler because it's becoming more mainstream, which everybody wants with fanatics and all of that, right? Sure. Is it going to get worse? You know, probably. I mean, because honestly, if you look at it now, too, and, and like I said, I don't ever really try to dance with names. To me, there are a few huge names in the content game. You've got Jeff Wilson, sports car investor. I like Jeff as a person, by the way. I don't like his yeah. content. I always say the same thing. But he is a very – he is a super easy – like I'd like to yeah. think if Jesse didn't know me, mm-hmm. Jesse knows nothing about cards and nothing about sports but wanted to get in, that's a perfect landing space for Je- for Jesse, a guy oh, like yeah. Jeff. Hey, like, here's a super easy way. These cards yeah. are going up. These guys are going down. Whether he's right or wrong, whatever, it's an easy landing space. So you've got that content. you got Sports Card Radio, same thing, big microphone. Um, but, like, with those guys, is it negative? I don't know. I just think they kind of har- – they just get onto you know, the conspiracies and the dramas and some of the problems with the hobby, and that's fine, too. I don't think that's necessarily good for new people coming in. Mm-hmm. But I don't mind it as somebody who's in the hobby already. Some of those stories I've never heard of. And then it's up to me. Is this being embellished? Is it totally factual? Whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's that kind of a landing zone. You know, um, Card Collector 2, Ryan, huge on YouTube. You know, same kind of thing. If you're going to shows and just kind of putting your foot in the door, he's out there making $5 deals and $50,000 deals. So I do think, like, we're going to see that. But the fact that somebody like a sports card radio and even card porn, like those two kind of tended to highlight some of the bad things, I'm not even calling it negativity. They just, that was kind of what they spoke more about than other things. And there was such a call, like there was such an interest in it that, yeah, I think we'll probably continue to see it. And we see knockoffs all the time. Like how many Instagram accounts now are guys who w- would love to be the next card porn right. where they're exposing things. The only issue I have is it's almost always watered down. Mm-hmm. Like say what you want about sports car. I've never spoken to those guys. Um, they stand by what they say. Like they're they're loud and in your face about it, and they make and they kind of stand by it. So I can I can respect that. Yeah. Um, card porn was kind of the same way. What I hated like the imitation knockoff guys. Like hey, here's a gotcha moment, and it's like, well, this is kind of poorly right. put together. It's useless. So, mm-hmm. but it gets eyes. So I think people are always going to try to do whatever's going to get them attention and eyes. So yeah, it'll probably get worse. You know, in some respects. Yeah, I, I do feel like that. We're heading in that direction, but I think it's a society, a microcosm of society as a whole. I think the, the shock and awe, the gotcha, you know, that's just that's just the way it is. And folks live on their phones. Folks live on the internet. That's what they do. This is this is where they where they're at. Yeah, like um, we have fifty. Just real quickly, like we have fifty, and I will make this answer short. There's a we have a fifty thousand member <laughs> Facebook group. If I put up, hey, super cool nostalgic story about my childhood. Look at this card I found. We'll get three hundred likes and six hundred comments. But if I put up, hey. This huge name in the hobby was just found stealing something. Mm-hmm. Eight thousand likes, fifty thousand comments. People yeah. like drama and nonsense like, drama. like that, and that's fine. And even if it's, you know, factual and totally true, it's just the way it is. It is. It is interesting. I think also people have a lot of money tied up. There's plenty like myself. We've we've spent money into this hobby the last three years. We've infused money into it and money that we probably would normally. I'll be honest. I it would not be in cards four years ago. It sure. wouldn't be. I, it would be. I don't know where. Probably in the bank account be honest um so some of us have a vested interest in what's going on but then at the end of the day and what this show is about is okay you're here now 
there's going to be a decision everybody's going to make. Those that have come in lately, are you going to stick around? Are you going to be a part of this community? Are you going to be a part of, are you going to collect and enjoy it? Or are you going to get scared and leave? Are you going to dump, you know, jump ship, sell off, count, you know, lick your wounds, count your losses and move on? You know, I want to encourage people to stay because here's why. Look at all these really great collections that people have procured. It took them a long time to get there. Maybe you need to be patient. Don't just buy stuff the minute you see it thinking it's going to be gone tomorrow. Um, you know, make, make good decisions so you're not in a situation where you feel like you have to sell something to buy something, right? So, or you, it hurts too much and you want to get out. I think encouraging people to stay and stick around is going to be the health. That, that's going to be the main, uh, the foundation of this hobby. The bedrock of this hobby is collecting and what you keep. Um, flipping is fun. But a lot of times, some of us that we sell, like I sold a lot on eBay, but I sold it because I wanted to buy other things. I, I was coloring up. It's pretty much all I've done. Yep. And I think that's important. So that's what I want to shine a light on. And these these topics, these conversations are important because you're right. Folks that just come in, if they're listening to, you know, the channel you just spoke about earlier, then they're getting scared. They go, well, this sounds like a place where only fraud occurs, where people are getting taken advantage of, especially people like me. I'm like this little minnow swimming a bunch amongst a bunch of tiger sharks. They're about to eat me in any minute. Everything is a, is a, I'm getting duped everywhere I look Whereas versus you, the sports card investor. It's, it's very positive and it's very, very well put together. Jeff, yeah, he seems like a great guy. You know, he's positioning things just right. Um, but it's like, where's the middle? That, that's kind of where I like, I think people need to have a good middle ground where they get both of it, but is it important to watch one or the other? I don't know. I just think it just comes down to where you're, where you're going to be fed, but I want people to stick around. I wouldn't want them to leave because that just strengthens our hobby, man. You want more people involved, especially since there's kids involved. The kids, right? I mean, you want kids. You want that next generation coming up. So did some hobby talk. Talked about your um, – so okay, tell me about how how did Sports Card Nonsense come about? Like you're collecting you, – because I think you did – talk to me about your breaking game. You had breaks going on for a minute there. And how did that segue into Sports Card Nonsense? Yeah, I would – so let me just preface it. 20, 2016 to 2020 to me is still the golden era in this hobby. Really? You could come in and make a full-time living doing it, and it still wasn't the cool thing to do. It was awesome. Like that's when – so in 2016, I started taking one day a week off to work for a local breaker. I was the I was kind of the back end, um, which was hilarious because our startup money was 8000 bucks. Mm -hmm. I sold his Blake Bortles collection uh, in 2016, and that was like all the rage because Blake right. Bortles was going to be the guy. <clears throat> and then I had a few thousand bucks of my own that I just sold everything we owned to put in. That's when I kind of started. So the flipping game progressed to, okay, let me take a day off a week. And as the calendar year went on, okay, two days a week off, three days a week. And then it just became, um, it became profitable. Like this breaking thing really started taking off and we were doing kind of, he was already breaking. Um, and then we were doing like small stuff. Again, I was never on camera helping sort ship, uh, collecting payments, all the back end stuff. And by the end of the year, it was like, hey, this is a thing. Mm -hmm. There's a new, there's another product coming out next year that's traditionally done well. So it'd be 2017. It's going to be Bowman. Um, what if we get all of our business licenses and make this a real business and go in? So that's what we did. So we get all the licenses, form a company. It's a legit name. Uh, Bruise Breaks was the name of a local guy here, uh, Mike. Um, and so with, with allocation back then and with a the distributor, you ordered, you know, four or five months ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So in December, it was how many cases of 2017 Bowman do you want to order five months from now? Mm -hmm. And we were like, dude, like, this is it. Either we're doing this or we're not, but Bowman seems to be the product. We can make a couple hundred bucks a case. Let's order 80 cases. And it was like, okay. And I remember it was literally like, 
okay, let's try. So we walked into, we, we talked to two distributors. Back then, talk about a totally different world. You could walk into a distributor now with half a million, you're not getting allocation. Back then, we walked in with no no money. We Hey, can we order product? Yeah, great. We want 80 cases of Bowman. And we had to put a down payment in months ahead of time, which I had to borrow. I think I took a cat. I can never remember exactly. I know I borrowed money from my father-in-law. I took out a cash advance on one of the credit cards. Just every financially poor decision you can make. <laughs> but by the time Bowman comes out, so that's in December of 16. Five months later, the product releases April of 17. Prospecting is the new thing. Mm-hmm. And there's some unbelievable names. Kevin Maytan is this unbelievable 17-year-old for the Braves that's going to just sell out of this world. There's wow. a guy named Eloy who has his first autograph. Uh, there's a, a B-list star named Ronald Acuna who has his first autograph as well. Uh, whatever. B- so, so at that time, B- see, this is the stuff you don't learn, folks, Kevin, at the end of the show. Dude, Kevin made – we pulled a red Acuna auto on release day or within a couple days of it, and it sold for a couple thousand bucks. That's got to be a hundred, a couple hundred thousand now, I would think. Wow. Kevin Maytan, though, was the guy. He was wow. a 17-year-old on the Braves. Acuna had some p- pump. Uh, Judge had his rookie auto in that as well for prospecting, which was huge. So there's right. other big names. Acuna was not a top five guy, not even close to it. Crazy. So that's what we did. We start really taking off. It's breaking. Everything's going. We start expanding in other sports. Halfway through the year, I'm like, dude, I'm like, I'm done working and doing anything else. I'm full time into this now. And then I start to win on camera breaks under that name. And by the end of the year, my personality was so that it was like, hey, I'm just doing the books. I'm seeing what we're making when I'm doing this. The other guy still worked full time and had a job. Just got to the point where it was just too, both of our egos, I think, were too big, specifically mine. 2018, we split. And that's when Geo Breaks was formed. And I ran it for two and a half years from 2018 to 2020. So, how did the, you obviously doing the break thing for a while there? You've learned the back end, front end, invested. Now you're on your own. Sports card nonsense. Yep. So 2020, again, very successful the first couple of years. 2020, the first few months are nuclear. We're coming off of Zion. We're coming off of Jason Dominguez um, in football. Oh, uh, Joe Burrow in football. Who? Mm-hmm. Those are the three most hyped prospects in the history of, of the card market ever. We had never seen anything aside from Otani, but it was 2018. Mm-hmm. 2020 Dominguez, though, raw autos, a thousand bucks. Wild. Um Zion stuff coming out in early 2020 was the biggest thing basketball had ever seen. And Joe Barrow was the biggest rookie to hit the card market. And then COVID hits. And so when COVID hit, like I told my wife and she'll like, she, to this day, she'll tell the story and laugh. I said, Hey, like we're shutting down the country. We're sitting on. And at this point we're still in my 700 square foot apartment. We've lived there for 12 years, me and her since we got married. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, hey, I, I don't know what's going to happen with the card market. Like, I'm, I'm actually nervous. People can't pay rent. How are they going to pay? You know, we can't go to work because we have this pandemic. How are they going to buy cards? And so I said, you're not – like, for two weeks, I'm going on vacation from you. Like, I'm just selling cards. That's all I'm doing. I'm going to clear out as much inventory as I can, which I did like a maniac. Um, and I still had three or $400,000 worth of inventory, which, again, this is before the spike. That's mm-hmm. a 10x number now. But back then, I was like, this is it. If this thing goes belly up, we're right back where we started after years of just too much work. Mm-hmm. By the time we get to August, April to August, total explosion because of the pandemic. Everybody's getting stimulus checks. In August, I started shopping around the idea of what if I tried to sell geobreaks? And Eddie Mancini, the dude who bought it, like he had been a customer once in a while, calls me out of the blue. It was like, hey, 
I really want to get into the breaking game. I've got some money. I want to buy the company, the socials, the whole, but I want to buy everything, inventory, the name, and I'd like to keep you on for 20%. So you're involved still. Um, so I sold it in August of 2020. And that was it. Like I took probably a month off and I told him I'm hands off for the first month. You got to learn how to run it. And then I, I'll come back and help. Uh, and he was still cutting me checks for my 20% of any of the sales he made. But I kind of just took the month of August and September and chilled. Like I didn't do much of anything. Uh, we bought our first house in that, in that course of time as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then that was kind of it. I was like, I was, I mean, I had enough to retire. So I was kind of like, eh, we'll figure out something to do and just got bored. So I started doing the podcast and it started as Facebook lives, which were, dude, when I tell you, I, people joke that they're not tech, tech savvy. I was doing a screen share of an old Larry Bird intro to my podcast and I would share <laughs> my screen and play it. But because I'm stupid, you'd hear clicking on the keyboard because I didn't know enough to mute one screen yeah. and just play the video. <laughs> Putrid. But they started getting a couple thousand views a piece and I was like, yeah. hey, whatever. So then we started making a real podcast, put her a few episodes and got a call from uh, from The Ringer. Very cool how they found you. Well, I always thought when I first started watching you guys, of course, I love the Luca Tiger Braun boys. Um, but outside of listening to those boys, um, I was like, this, this sounds professional. I mean, just the way you present the program. It sounds like this is a radio show that I used to listen to driving into work. It sounds like radio, feels like radio, the way it's presented, the formatted, the run of show, the whole nine feels professional, feels like it's at that level. So, you know, seeing how that happened was not surprising to me. I'm like, this makes sense. Um, wow. So th that takes off. And, and now has that been successful? I feel like it has. I mean, after you go through 2021, everything kind of slows down. Has that changed anything for you guys? seeing how the market's shifted a bit and corrected. No, so it's changed the format, but not the, so we start, we signed on officially in 2021 in January of 2021 is when we started. Mm -hmm. So we go through our whole first year, you know, the contract was, and, and they also pay for everything. That's the other thing, the whole production team distribution, everything. When we're done recording, we send the file, we're hands off. Yep. And that's what, so early on too, we started taking on some advertisers ourselves for our socials and just mentioning them on the pod. So 2021 was good. 2022, as we grew, so did the sponsorship money and all that stuff. But we did stop after about the first six months. I used to do like picks of the week and like we Jesse would do the straight cash homie segment based on Randy Moss's thing. And it was just, it was literally just be me looking back at guys I liked mm -hmm. being like, man, this Emmett Smith card is stupid cheap. I'm going to go buy it. And I would, I'd go buy it. And I'm like, it's 50 bucks guys. Everybody should go buy this thing. Yeah. What we found early though, was the influence that we had. And that's why we stopped. Like mm. these cards would be 50 bucks and we look two days later and we get messages like, dude, look at this. They're now $250. It happened with like the first 10 or 12 times we did it. We only did it wow. once a week. And I told Jess, like, this is becoming like a pump and dump scheme because when I go to sell it, which that's why I'm only, that's the only reason I'm buying this stuff anyways, it started to feel like, oh, go buy this card. Everybody buy it. It's great. Hey, I'm selling mine a month later. So we just kind of that. So that's the biggest change with the market being down. Got it, got it. Like, we don't really need to be giving people picks because I, I started to feel like we were influencing people's spend and I didn't want to be in, in that game. And so that's changed quite a bit. And even now, like the overall tone is just caution. Like I'm not out buying big Brady cards right now. You could come with me with a contender's auto 10% under comps. I don't know that I'm buying it right now. Like I just yeah. I've, I've really slowed up in that buying. I've stepped up a lot in my flipping game and in grading. But so the content has changed quite a bit. So who are you? Uh, well, probably answer this. You don't want to answer it. But 
Is there anybody oh, in particular sure. that you're 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 um, prospecting on? Because you have this side of your it sounds like you're you're kind of a two two pronged approach. You got your PC, the things you love and you keep. Then you got the stuff you prospect and flip. So as baseball, basketball, football, or is there anybody that you're prospecting that you feel pretty good about? So I'm kind of in like a weird little void right now. A couple months ago, it was Tua and Jalen. Like they were the preseason buy and Tatum. Those are my three big offseason buys mm-hmm. uh, that did. Those have done pretty well. Baseball, I didn't do much. Honestly, yeah. baseball is more week to week. Like I'll buy it and flip it super quick because it's just a weird, to me, weird game. Um, and then kind of in the near future, like Trey Lance to me is a guy I'll probably buy heavy in the offseason and Trevor Lawrence. Um and then other guys will pop up. You know, Jordan's another guy. Even though he had a good season, I bought Jordan early, and he kind of just didn't move the market, so I sold off and lost on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some guys, but there's not like that one guy. I'm like, hey, I'm going out and just loading up on this guy. It's more just, you know, who do I think has a chance to step up a little? Tatis. Like yeah. In the offseason, Tatis to me is probably a good buy. He's going to be cheap. He's coming off like the, the shadow of steroids. Probably relatively cheap. I'll probably buy Tatis in the offseason. See, I was going to say, yeah, the guys like Tatis. I mean, it, it seems like all the guys, Soto, Acuna, they're all down. Yep. What What are your thoughts on Mike Trout? He got hurt. He's you know he's got to stay healthy. I get all that, but long term, what do you see him? You know, I think he's got a big base. Yeah. What so Trout Trout terrifies me. Trout to me is a lot like Drew Brees, like huge numbers and wildly successful in the diamond at times. But when he's all said and done, and granted, baseball is probably the least. Um, Championships mean the least in baseball. Correct. Like Griffey's unbelievable. And probably if you pulled guys 30 to 45, I would say he's the number one PC guy of us. Probably. Never even went to a series. So I I get Ted Williams, you know, no one, and even like Mantle. How many, how many championships did Mantle win? I have no clue. I know he won some. I couldn't tell you. Mm. Um, So it is different in baseball. But even that, I'm like, man, if this kid stops playing full seasons, which it looks like he's going to, like, in 20 years, is he still this unbelievable talent, or is he kind of just in that mix? And if he's just one of the guys who's in the mix, and when I say in the mix, the top 25 guy of all time, phenomenal. Well, we've seen those guys, and it doesn't necessarily mean they – so I just – I stay away from him for long-term stuff. I'll buy him and flip him all day. I don't have any money tied up in him long-term because I just don't know. Unless he does something monumental like that or gets back on track and consistently stays healthy – I think in 20 years, we're going to look and be like, this guy is not a number one guy of all time. His pricing was super, super high because he was the guy of the of the decade. Mm-hmm. But then who's the next guy? So, yeah, I'm, I'm very cautious with Trout long term. Happy to buy him in the short term. You don't think kids with money later that remember Trout or people that are a bit younger that have money later for that next boom won't be buying his stuff. I always wonder that. You counter that with that whole argument, right? I do, but I always get – I always get – like the vintage mindset with me though is Mm -hmm. so if in 20 years I'm going to go back and buy trout. Well, yeah, but there was this guy. So those kids always heard the legend of Griffey and bonds growing up. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to go back an extra 20 years and get Griffey or bonds and they're more scarce, or they're just going to go right back and buy mantle. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. You could be right. There could be this huge wave of people who are buying trout stuff. But even then, like how many people are fan? I just don't know. I don't have a, an actual read on that market. I don't know how many people love Trout and love the Angels, and they don't have that like a moment that captures people, right? Because he's never there at the end. So I, I don't know. I'm I, yeah, I'm just kind of cautious with him. Yeah, that's fair. So what are your thoughts? You know, okay, and we're we're, we're kind of spinning around on this, but you're giving you're just this is great conversation. So 
what are your thoughts on the PED guys? Like I, I hold a lot of eighties cards. I love it. I love trout. I love uh, Clemens bonds, I'm a big bonds guy. I, I get it. If people have their opinions on that, I think they both should be in the hall. I think they were both hall of famers before this suspected juicing. What are your thoughts on those guys? I have, my thought is everybody back then used and you'll never can. If you told me Griffey got popped and we just heard about it now, I wouldn't be shocked. And he was my favorite guy, Frank Thomas. It's funny how we've picked and choose who Griffey, Jeter, Frank Thomas, and Pulos are all clean. People are as firm that those guys are totally clean, as are the staunch people with Bonds, Clemens, A Rod. Everybody else was well, A Rod tested, but everybody else who te- who didn't test dirty, but appeared that way. So my mindset has always been every single person used. So it's an even playing field. Who was the best? I put them all in. Fair. Because you can't tell me Griffey used, didn't use, and in the same breath tell me Bonds did. We just don't know any. We don't know. Yeah, like Bonds probably did. Like, I'm pretty big in the lifting world myself. He probably did. You don't get that big at that age. His head was huge. Like, see how big his head? I mean. And just his, I mean, everything. So he probably did. But but does that mean Griffey definitively did not? I hope not, but I just assume they all did. So I think we like to think he didn't. Of Um, course. It fits the narrative because he got hurt the whole nine yards. But, yeah, I. Interesting. Okay. Same All with right. Pulos, by the way. It is amazing to me the the tear yeah. Pulos around this year. Not yeah. a word about it. No, we love Albert. Isn't that, no isn't way that weird? Used. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, how are you all of a sudden pushing out? He did nothing in L.A. Did maybe nothing. He's, maybe he is. I just figure almost everybody in that in the game cheats back then, especially. So I put in the best guys. Anyways. Got it. No, that's cool. Very fair. All right. So, what's in your PC? Talk to us about some of the cards you have that you're keeping that you love. So a lot of, kind of like the big four for me, a lot of Griffey stuff. Um, nothing huge for Griffey, though. He does, like, I don't have any, like, the 1993 refinest refractor is the one whale I would like to get at some point. I don't have it. So I have some Same Griffey here. rookies, some low-numbered autos, stuff like that. Um, ton of Brady's uh, with Brady's graded rookie. A lot of on-card autos. I try to stick with that or patch autos. And then Bird and Bill Russell are kind of my other two guys. Same thing, rookie cards of each. Um, and then some autos of both of those guys. That's all the big stuff, and then just at least two or three three-row cards where they're probably just penny sleeves, so 3000 a piece of just base cards of guys I liked. Literally anybody, whether it's a 1996 tops card or a 2020 insert, uh, same four guys, and then even if it's a Ted Williams, Mariano, Jeter, all the guys I remember growing up, Frank Thomas, Vlad Sr., any just super cool, cheap card of those guys that I could find, I used to just get them because I thought they were cool to have. So, your big cards. You're, you have a, you have the Bird Magic rookie. What what you have PSA ten, PSA nine, PSA eight, seven. Uh, so I've got a couple PSA eights, and I have a PSA. Uh, the card literally directly over my head, and that holder there is a PSA seven, and it's autographed by all three guys. So oh, auto cool. ten. Auto. But not huge. Uh, no huge cards though. By the way, I don't have any yeah. six figure cards. I know these right. guys all go crazy. The Jordan nine five rookie. Although it's probably down now. There's Brady's bigger than that. That was my biggest card. Right. So the Jordan 95. Okay, let's let's do this so I can really dial it in. Tighten this up a little bit on you. Okay. Something happens, your house, you got to get out of there really quickly, real fast. You can only carry out what you keep. Okay. Your your wife's fine, your children are fine, your dog's fine, your animals are all good. You just got to grab something, you got to make it quick. Obviously, everything's in front of you, it's not vaulted. What are you taking with you? The set 2000 showcase, that's sweet sigs. That's yep. what you take. That's it. It's worth else. 700 bucks. The whole set. I love it. It's 10 cards. I can carry it all. Yep, that was it. Because that was what got me back into this, was my love of like that set. 
and, that is and like a, wow that's so yeah, cool and like here. the and, and then like the chase of it because it was like you know hey i can get this if i hustle and flip other cards it'll allow me to pay for that because you're making 25 to 30 grand a year like i was back then i couldn't just go out and buy stuff mm-hmm. you know so it, it did it that to me signifies like the hunt in the hobby the ultimate like you're gonna grind and flip and chase to get that one big item you want and the big item back then was that set. So that's kind of what set it off for me. Wow. That's important to hear. That's a very, very important statement you just made. I think a lot of folks would go, oh, what about this card? What about that card? Wow, that card's worth the most. Like, no. Sentimental value-wise, from an inspiration standpoint, I'm going to grab that set 10 cards. And didn't you take you five seconds to answer the question? You just like that. Yeah, very always. Cool. That's it. I that's love it. That's, that's just, that, that is encapsulates the whole that's that's what this show is right there boom right there in one sentence perfect clip that um talk to me about your the grade does it does it psa bgs sgc does it matter to you obviously there's a market difference we know that none of us have to talk about that it's obvious but do you have a preference does it matter yeah i mean and so yeah most people know this but like sgc is one of our biggest financial sponsors um Actually, they might be the biggest sponsor we have of anything, of the ads, the podcast, whatever. I grade more car- I grade 10 to 1 with SGC. Mm-hmm. Every week I send off a ton of cards. Um, I think people overlook. Now, granted, I still send a PSA as well. Those mm-hmm. are the only two I use. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to resale value is still huge. What people take out of that, though, in a vacuum, that's true. If, if grade A sells for more than grade B, that company, grade with the first company, it sells for more. But there are mitigating factors. Like with SGC, I always say it's very simple. I can get my cards back super fast. Mm-hmm. So even though it only sells for 70% of a PSA, if I'm selling it in the market three weeks earlier, I know how new releases work. If I'm the right. first one to sell this, I'm going to make more money. So I think it right. covers almost all of that. Mm-hmm. And just the speed of getting my cat. And I also do that because I would love to see somebody else compete with PSA. And I think they're the ones to do it. Like yeah. I think – there would be there is no better thing that could ever happen in the world of sports cards than if those three companies sold for the exact same amount of money. Would be perfect. If they all sold the best, all of a sudden we as a consumer have all the power. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not the case, but but that irritates me. Why? Why does a card in a holder I also understand I'm never going to change people's perspective, but I've had great experience with SGC and I've had really great I've never had a bad experience with PSA either. Mm-hmm. So uh, they've all graded fake cards. They've all misgraded, under, overgraded. All three of those have made mistakes, no question. McDonald's, bur- I'm not a fast food guy, but McDonald's, Burger King. I mean, McDonald's seems like that'd be PSA. Burger King is SGC. It's still really good. They got a lot of great things. Sometimes right. And what, and what makes the fries and the fry later there better than the same thing in the other one? I don't know. People like the look of a holder more. But, but I also remember five years ago, BGS was the clear number one. Not yeah. even close. SGC was not relevant for modern, and PSA was too. But I have really kind of bought and invested the SGC model, and I like those guys. Just again, yeah. to be personal, like when I have a question and Peter goes live and makes a statement about it, that hits me a That's little cool. bit, you know. And I've criticized them in the past; they've made some stupid decisions. Right. But those are kind of the two I roll with. So SGC for the most part, and I still roll with PSA a little bit. Yeah, SGC. Yeah, Peter seems like he's very accessible. Nat's very accessible. He's—I mean—I can speak from experience. Very accessible guy, to a, a you know nobody like me who just collects cards. So um, I, I personally love the SGC slap. It, it feels heavier. It feels like more just—I don't know—the way it's presented feels more like elegant. You know, the, the tuxedo thing is cool. I like that play because it does feel like it's a bit more upscale. 
you know? Um, but yeah, they're both really great. Um, okay. Well, if uh, I gave you $100,000 and I told you, you can only use it on cards, you couldn't spend it on anything else. What would you buy? What are you buying with that money? What's the purpose of the money? Like, what do I have to do with it? To PC it? To flip it? Like, what is the objective? Either one. So to PC it, uh, I'd probably buy... If it's your money, I wouldn't spend my money and do this. I would buy two nine ten contenders. Those are about 50 grand Brady right now. They hit up as high as 90 to 100 for a while. I'd probably throw that in and just forget about it. Um, if I'm f in the flip game, mm -hmm. like, hey, I want this money back in three to six months... You know, there's a real world where I just buy every single numbered Tatum rookie out there, everything I can find, because I, I just think they're going to go on a tear. The market in basketball has been softer than most. Like, there's been no huge bump for those guys. And I think if this kid goes on a real run at the end of the season, we could see his stuff, you know, the playoff bump be significant. So I just load up on But that would be it. I take one guy who I believe in and just go nuts with him. To me, it would be Tatum. What happens to Brady? What's he do next? God, I hope he retires. Ugh. I was at that game Sunday in Tampa. First yeah, time I've seen him. I saw pictures. I'm like, God, Gio's watching this game. It's going to be fun. Tale oh, of two geez. cities, man. The first half was great. He just is – he's old. Yeah. Nothing worse than watching your heroes get old. Like, last year, it was a perfect ending. You lost. You walked off the field in the lead after an amazing comeback. Just so happens they won the game, and they went on to win the Super Bowl. Who cares? You left the field with one of the best playoff comebacks in history against the team that ended up winning the series. I was content. There's nothing else he can do. He is cemented as the goat. And now this year, it's kind of like you're six and nine, like what or whatever they are, six and eight, whatever the record is, garbage. I, I don't know. What I don't need to see happen is him. His last game be a playoff game where they lose to the Cowboys in Tampa by thirty. So, either get healthy and go off on top. Either way, I hope he's done. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm worried he's not. With his divorce, I feel like he's going to have nothing else to do but just get ready for a whole other season. Do you think he goes back to New England? I ever? hope not. That team has no weapons. Like I don't know what, what would you, he's not changing anything in New England this year. Yeah. So I hope not. Wouldn't, and the San Francisco thing is dead. There's no chance there. That's just another team, though, right? You're just gonna. You're just. It's like the Johnny Unitas with the, the with Chargers, the, uh, right? Chargers or something like that. We're just like, what is that? You know? I, yeah. And if you're a great team, are you wasting time signing him next year? No. I mean, I don't think so. I don't yeah, think so. I'm, I'm all set. Awesome. Mike Gio, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been, re this has been really fun. I've learned a little bit about you and your collecting and I've learned about the hobby a bit more, just stuff that happened prior to when I got involved. Um, I've learned about lots of stuff. So and we've all learned about a lot of stuff. If you guys have any questions, go follow. He's a great follow. Sports car nonsense is a terrific follow. Go like subscribe, listen, good stuff, professional stuff. Mike does not hold back, which is what we love. He does not hold back. Thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thanks for the time, buddy. Have a All good right. day. Sounds good. We'll talk to you later.